Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi there, I'm Sue Uniman. I'm Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us today is Ian Rotherham. How are you doing, Ian? Hello, I'm good. How are you both? Good, thank you. Good. I'm very, very excited to speak to you. Okay. Ian is a global client president at Mediacom, having previously been Mediacom's global client officer. Do um, I need to call you Mr. Uh, president all the way through? Uh, apart from apologise for the ridiculous title. Um, so, well, apology, second apology already then, if I'm the first of the four of us that you're meeting with, that obviously means the other three had better, were unavailable and you got stuck with me. Um, I suppose, what do I do? Um, our job is really focused on multi-market or global clients um, winning their remits and then obviously as a network delivering against their objectives and our assignment. Um, yeah, that's probably the short pithy answer I mean, to so that. You've got, you've got you, you have to talk to everybody that works on the clients that you run across Mediacom everywhere in the world. You have to pull everybody together, right? Yeah, but there's kind of like um, ways that which you can do that. You can have very detailed discussions with only a few people and it cascades down. I think my job is to ensure that I'm aware of what we are doing with all of the brands and clients within that group across all of our markets. And in particular, I'm aware of the hotspots problems yeah and get those addressed rapidly um but ideally i'm aware of the good stuff so that we push that across country sure. borders um but ultimately i suppose i'm what was it my old boss used to refer to me as the throat to choke um and stop anything getting to mr allen's desk um because by then i haven't done my job mm. um but i mean that's looking at it as to making sure bad stuff doesn't happen. I suppose really the other side of it is making sure that global clients as well as local market clients are very aware of the good stuff that's happening across markets. We we have a terrible tendency as an agency, but I think also as just humans, we make most noise about the things when they've gone wrong. Maybe if that's the British culture we're really good at highlighting when stuff's gone wrong mm. and no one ever talks about well that's gone really well there and it's gone great here and we never promote that so part of my job is to strike a balance between those and, and share best practice share best practice i guess which which therefore will benefit the clients as well yeah there's you know there's an efficiency in that that's ultimately why clients look for a network as opposed to pick a single partner in every single market, there's they want some form of consistency in terms of thinking, resource, talent, product, performance. And our job is to try and strike that balance, be it uh, Chile, Belgium, or China. Um, we've got to have well. that across everyone. Yeah, fascinating role then. So you're absolutely cross cultures. And um, I know Mediacom did a whole piece of uh, with Hofstede uh, about different agency cultures, uh, sorry, different um, country cultures everywhere in the world. And, and did, I just, just as a kind of follow up kind of question, do you find that's true? So do you find that that working in a media agency defines the culture because Mediacom has a very strong culture? Or do you find that your 
um, uh, kind of working with people who have different cultures in different parts of the world. Yeah, you you you, you do get that clap. You've got that coming together of that. There is a consistency of elements of the media com culture, as 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 there would be in any hopefully any global network would have some kind of nucleus at its heart of what its DNA and what it stands for. And that permeates each office. Um, but then you do obviously have those national cultures, you know, stereotypes exist for a reason. Um, yeah. And you do see that you'll have, and you need to be aware of them. I mean, part of my job is I have to be aware that there are certain countries where it is incredibly hierarchical. Yeah. in terms of how people conduct themselves um, in a meeting, um, where in others where it's far more uh, democratic and mm. everyone at the table has a voice. Um, so, and, and you get that. You'll have the Argentinian strong emotion versus, mm. let's say, the UK reserved um, versus, yeah. yeah, an Australian... Uh, far more personable yeah. relationship well what an interesting job navigating all of that and and sailing above it do you change do you sailing change? through it <laughs> yeah, do, do you do you think you change personality do you do you sort of code switch a bit when you're with different markets yeah i mean um that, i'm just wondering if that's a talent for the job or i think it's it, it's something you absolutely have to always remember that you, I know it's a cliche, but you're a guest in that market. Yeah. And I'm always acutely aware, embarrassingly aware that I only speak one language. And even then, according to one of my children, I don't do that that well either. Um, and, and so I'm always aware that people are adapting to benefit me by the language. So the least I can do is acknowledge and respect the way of working in that particular office so you'll have certain offices whereby it may be a late start in the day but it's an incredibly late finish you know it took me a while china for instance beijing you'd see people come in and i'd be there at the start of the day and people would filter in during the day and you kind of think they can why they take why is everyone so taking so long to come in i mean i'm going back a few years now but then it was explained to me that how large Beijing is and because of the traffic, mm -hmm. people may live on the, the seventh or the sixth perimeter. And so it takes them a lot longer to get in and they will work until half past 10, 11 at night so that their return journey is also after all of that traffic. And so you, you have to be aware of those before you start jumping to some ill-informed uh, conclusions. Well, the, the, there's huge potential for this job to be overwhelming, to be very stressful. How do you deal with that as well? Um, probably not as well as I should. I've, you know, just before we started this recording, I'm, I'm, I was jokingly referring to the fact that I, I take my laptop on holiday. I, I have done. Um, and I think this was the first year I actually stuck an out of office on my email. Um, because now more than ever, I actually did need some headspace. Um, although that didn't work for the first week. But anyway, um, try and unplug when you can. Um, 
which is easier said than done because of the devices and the fact that one continent's waking when another is closing. So you could, if you wanted, be doing emails pretty much 18, 19 hours of the day. Um, so I think you you do have to set a limit as to when you switch devices off. Um, but I make sure that whenever I travel, I always take my running shoes because that's yeah. my time. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's probably actually, you know, that is probably the biggest challenge we've got at the moment is, and particularly in these incredibly unique times, that work-life balance. I think that is the hardest part, be you global or local. Because of devices now, people assume you are always switched on. And I work with one particular client where the country in which they are based, it is, you know, it is against the law for a work email after a certain time. Um, and I actually had to have someone explain that to me when I was kind of writing, saying, no one's responding to my emails. This is incredibly important. And someone had to point out to me that, no, Ian, you're actually acting outside of the law. Um, so you need to refrain from sending those emails, polite though they may be. Amazing. I saw a small creative agency once where they had the tables were on ropes. And so the desks would rise to the ceiling at six because then it became a yoga studio. So people had to leave. I know it's not the same point with the electronic disconnection, Brilliant. but in terms of the work disconnection, I thought that was that was lovely. Um, how was it moving from a cross client role to a specific client role? Uh, actually, brutally honest, not really that different. Um, there's when I have done a client role, you, some of the clients are $2 billion investments um, and they're multiple LOBs. So even though it's one client, it's the one now that I focus most of my time and energy on has multiple LOBs. And so there's four or five sorry, global uh, uh, brands. Line uh, of business, sorry, uh, sorry. It's a crappy acronym, isn't it? Um, so ba brands, basically, let's keep it really simple. They'll have four or five brands and they are different enough so that my work task is diverse. I think it would be the one thing that I have been able to do by that is keep things broad enough so as to remain interesting, but also I've been able to get a bit deeper into the type of work we're doing with those individual brands, uh, which is good for me from a, I continue to learn. Um, and that keeps things fresh and interesting for me rather than doing the same old, same old, being on a guinea pig wheel. What does, um, what does it take to be successful as a, as a global leader? Um, I, suppose, I suppose in a way, Sue, we kind of just mentioned part of it, didn't we, in, in, in terms of that, you know, putting yourself always in the shoes of others um, mm. and absolutely avoid that's a, that's a change isn't it because probably when you and i started out what the global leaders did was set a way of doing things and then lots of people ran around trying to make sure that everybody did it in that way so what you're saying is very different to that oh yeah i mean when when i started in global role over a decade ago it was um 
the only requirement basically was that you had a passport because the way of doing it yeah. in the UK, the British media agencies were the best, self-appointed title, I may add. Um, yes. And therefore, our task was to educate the world um, as to how things should be done. That's how it was. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was no surprise that my visit to an office was usually met with dread uh, yeah. because, you know, incoming some self-inflated UK person saying, no, this is not how we do it. Um, and, and that's that's changed mm. because... It's it's a 180-degree change, right? Oh, you, you, you now see... You go back five, six years ago, and if we wanted the best thinking in terms of digital and, you know, when we had all of the dot-coms over a decade ago, you'd go to the Nordics because they were at the cutting edge. Um, if you wanted to look as to how you could mine individual data, you go over to the US. And now we're turning more uh, to China and Southeast Asia for how to work across e-commerce, social media, etc. So I think, so for me, that investing in time with people is probably the biggest thing because... If I'm going into a market and I'm going to ask people to share information or to comply with a way of working or introducing a new contract, which they had no part in agreeing and they may find the terms uh, somewhat aggressive, I can only get so far. I need, a, I need a relationship with the stakeholders. I need to have a personal rapport with the people who run our offices in every market because without that there's no there's no personal connection there's no trust um so i think that's the biggest thing recognizing you need to spend time mm -hmm. getting to know people and being in their position and always respecting that position yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm in a global role, but I've come from the UK and those existing relationships and understanding what role I play within their world has made an infinite amount of difference. Because then you can, if you understand that as a concept, you go and you go, well, I'm exactly the same to people in France, into Germany, into Benelux, into wherever. And it, you immediately realise that, like you said, you're a guest in their country and you've got to your your job is to help them basically and you can't help them if you don't understand their world and if you're not adding if you're only taking away i got, I got sent was it? I, got, I got sent to beijing in the first couple of months of working at mediacom and i got told by everyone by the way the guy who runs mediacom china is um a unique character um but he'll dismiss you quite quickly because you're not from that market and so I kind of agreed with that then CEO, I would personally commit to be in his market. And I think we added it up. Simon, who was our CFO at the time, kind of at the end of the year, told me I had spent in that 12, I'd spent over a month in China. Um, and I, I went, I think it was every three months, I would go and spend six, seven days doing the, the offices in Beijing and Shanghai. And it was only through doing that 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 team started to then take me on board and trust me that I wasn't going to be someone just coming in and saying, no, this is how it should be done. And then flying off, I'd actually want to understand and work with them to see 
how we could make things better for them and me and then ultimately obviously the clients so that's that's i mean you've got family you've talked about daughters how that, that must have made being around for your family very difficult yeah um i think it's fair to say my youngest uh, our youngest maggie um i probably wasn't around as much those first zero to three years um as, as much as i w would have wanted um mm. because of you know i think europe's easy day trips in europe yeah. they're, they're tough sorry because you're up at like five to catch a 645 right. flight blah 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 but you're home at the end of that day um and you may miss the children altogether but you're around the house the next day when you do south america or africa or, or, or asia that's a week so that's you, you're going to make it meaningful yeah 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 it, it's i, I think it, and it's not it has to so you know i'm a serious one it's not an individual choice it, it, it's a family choice yeah you have to make that as a collective unit because there's an investment required from both of you as a you know the, the partnership um you both need to say okay if this is going to happen these are the implications back here at home and what does that mean um and how do we both therefore navigate that together so that it doesn't break things and, and you guess, know that you have to approach guess, that together i guess it's one of the things that might look different where travel is you know proving not to be essential so that might be something we'll talk about about moving forward yeah yeah one of the things that's come through is how much you have to constantly evaluate your approach to things and so you've become it seems very skilled in self-evaluation and growth but if you could go back and meet yourself on your very first day walking into your first agency job what skill would you tell yourself to work harder on which which agency was it as well and give us a bit of, give us a bit of initiative as a tv bar. initiative yeah. Uh, yeah i i got brought into initiative they did a graduate um induction day and what did I, you have to do on your day on the on the induction day well try and hide my birmingham accent was probably uh <laughs> no one for myself um but you you were in, people would come in and present I had no idea, I think as most people say, I had no idea what the media industry was. I just remember there was an advert in The Guardian on a Monday, which was the media section yeah. uh, for graduate media planners. And I thought, oh, that, that, that sounds good. Um, uh, boy, was I wrong. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was an open day. And for whatever reason, I got asked to come back and do a presentation on some topic you chose yourself um which was somewhat nerve-wracking and then Do you yeah what you presented on yeah i presented on um this sounds really chin strokingly dull but i was really into like jazz and hip-hop music still am yeah. um and so at that time i used to uh frequent certain clubs and also contribute to a magazine and so i talked about that as just a passion um and i think everyone else spoke about nautical engineering or uh, love of foreign languages or something and so you, and so you got a job and you're going to mm. go back and meet yourself on the first day of that new job what are you going to say 
Um, I would probably say shut up more, be, be, be quieter and listen a heck of a lot more. Um, and you know, the old adage is, well, you know, if, when, you're, when you're talking, you're just saying what you already know. But when you listen, you've got more chance to learn. And that's so true. I think the one challenge we have now, and I'd definitely say to myself, okay, listen more, but look. Um, and the thing with that we've, and you'll know this far, far better than I, Sue, but you've, humans were, were kind of like programmed to listen and see what we, we wanted to hear and what we already wanted to see. Yeah. And the challenge we have now with the confines of these virtual meetings is that a lot of the time when we're in a meeting, and someone's presenting, you can tell what's landing and what's of interest, not by what people are saying, but how they move, you know, the terms of And you can also tell how leaders is a brilliant one. You can see when someone says, yeah, I'm a real people person, blah, blah, blah. And then you see how they act and you can say, that's a crock of shit because I've just seen the way that you lead in an autocratic way because it's always you speaking first rather, you know, mm. and we, there's a challenge with the virtual screens that we don't pick up so much, particularly mm. I've, I've had to do presentations, a new business presentation on Skype. Mm. I had absolutely the whole team. None of us had any idea what mm. was landing, what wasn't. We had no idea if someone was on the other end of the line in their pajamas, doing some decorating and had it on mute. No idea. And, and so they could have been in another meeting with another agency at the same time. Yeah. And, and that, that thing for me would be it's hard. Listen more, but also just pick up on so, people's behavior because that a lot of the time is far, far more telling them what they actually are saying. I think that's really interesting. In fact, one of our clients who is a wonderful woman anyway, this most senior um, client, one of our clients who even in a big meeting, when everyone turns off their cameras because the Wi-Fi won't, you know, measure up to the having everybody with their cameras on. She always says, I will keep my camera on because you cannot present to an empty room. And that's like, I actually think that's that's one way of showing leadership at the moment, keeping your camera yeah. on. And um, uh, I also really like to see people's real backgrounds as well. Just, you've got some very interesting wallpaper there. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of, the, one of the challenges, so my wife works from home. And this is her kind of like practice where she'll have one-on-ones with people. So there has been this kind of like fight for a secure room, um, which is the closest to the Wi-Fi router. But I think we, we've got around all of those challenges. Everything's in the can, I, can I recommend you can buy from anywhere plugs, which you can take a cable from your router, put it into this plug, and then it puts your internet through your electric system in your house so i'm on i'm in the i'm in the room furthest away from my router but i've got wired internet and it's quicker than it, the wi-fi anywhere in my house they're brilliant I could, i'll send you a link and i can put it in the link to this podcast but they are amazing cool cool yeah, yeah. sorry the, the need for usb charging ports is probably the one biggest <laughs> demand yeah. in the house yeah. he's got my lead um sue's disappeared again so i'll crack on what's next for you then ian um, I, don't, I think the next year is going to be um, brutal, um, challenging. I think next year is going to be tough. Let's put it in a, a softer bit of language. Um, 
mainly because I think everyone knows that the financial impact of this year isn't going to just be a 12-month impact. Um, and I think it's it's going to lead to some long-term decision-making next year. So I think in my mind, I'm kind of just saying, you know what, let's let's plan now for what we're doing next year and then we'll, we'll come back to what's going to happen. Um, but I think give it, give it 12 months. I can't see a return personally to the way I was working pre-March, you know, in terms of where it, just in terms of the working week, if, if you were to look at what I was doing Jan through mid-March, um, that first part of March, I was in Italy and Amsterdam, you know, which is crazy because Lombardy was just kicking in. Um, I, I can't see diaries like that, you know, um, I think there will be a, a change professionally to how I work and therefore we all work. So I think my role will maybe title and maybe clients and maybe remit will evolve. Um, and I hope it does in the next 12 months. But I think the biggest change will be the way in which I actually work. Interesting. Uh, so now we're on to our regular questions about... Does anyone, options. sorry, just a question yes, on that. When you say, okay, what's next for you in the, the next 12 months? Does anyone actually answer that with a, well, I hope I get a new job and I change my, and I get that promotion because Sandra got that promotion and she's an absolute cow. Does we have anyone one, answer? <laughs> we have one once. Um, we have one once for someone that didn't go out because uh, then they got caught in some controversy in the papers. So we, uh, he said very openly that he w was expecting to get a very senior job. Um, yeah, uh, but no, didn't. he didn't. No, and <laughs> fact, we, also the other thing that we've had is we've had someone leave their job practically the day after the recording went out and not tell us about it. Yeah. Whereas obviously they should have told us about it first. And I'd been answering questions about what we what they were going to be doing in that role and things like that. Oh, we need the Brilliant. truth in this podcast, surely. Yeah, I mean, I'm in no conversations with Nick at the moment um, about what's going to happen next. To be absolutely honest and open. The so on to the questions we use just to see how people compare. Uh, what is your favourite line from a poem, a song, or a book, Ian? Um, if I could quote a sonnet. I'd be really, really impressed with myself, but I can't, which shouldn't be a surprise to you whatsoever. Um, there's loads of, there's like the popular bits of poetry when I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's really smart, that's really clever. Um, have you ever seen the film Icarus? No. Icarus is about um, a, a guy who tries to investigate the post of uh, Lance Armstrong, the dope yes. scandal. Right. So he starts to seek advice on how he could cheat the system. And anyway, the, the, one meeting leads to another meeting and he culminates in being a big part of the uh, Russian state-sponsored or alleged state-sponsored doping scandal, which led to Russia being banned from the Olympics. Um, but, it, but it starts with a George Orwell quote on the screen, which is something along the lines of, um, oh, it's bloody hell. Um, in, in 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 the land or in in the land of universal deceit uh telling truth is a revolutionary act it, it's something yeah. along those lines and it's a really really big 
as is George Orwell and kind of looking down in the gloom and doom of the state, etc. But if you look, think of it in another way, for me, it's just, just always be true to yourself. And if, mm-hmm. if you're true to yourself, and that may sometimes be the brave thing and saying no mm-hmm. is sometimes the right thing to do, um, then you can just turn around and say, okay, I didn't sell myself um, mm-hmm. and I'm, o- I'm okay with the decisions I took. Um, I like that one. I think we can nod to your first book there, Sue, which I genuinely enjoy very much. Tell the truth. Indeed. Um, If you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in the magic circle to summon you? Um, My running trainers. Yeah. Would be one. Um, A photograph. Well, well, uh, that's not commonly available. I have to be able oh, to, and I have to be able to go 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 and buy it, or 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 borrow it. How, how do you know the so, photograph I'm referring to of my mother isn't now available in the shop? <laughs> okay, so five things that you would be able to. Yeah. Okay, so, so um, running so, shoes. I could get you a pair of running shoes. Running shoes. Okay, scent. So scent. lavender. La- oh, la- oh. Yeah, just like whenever I smell lavender, it'll straight away I'm transported to spring and summer, and it's just like. It's just nice. It's oh, just a uh, relaxing. Yeah. Scent That's great. I love that. Um, so scent, uh, the running shoes, um, headphones. Yeah. So I can always listen to music. Um, some form of the perfect travel bag. I buy a travel bag every year because there seems to be, oh, this one's now allowed a shirt to do this. Um, and a USB lead. Okay. Um, because that seems to be the one thing in this house which disappear with yeah. alarming regularity. Right. So talking of things in your house, what assuming everything that's alive is 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 giving you some pleasure and you're happy with them, but what three things in your house are giving you pleasure right now? Uh, does the River Thames count? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, no. Is no. it in your house? No. <laughs> not, unless, not unless you can see it out your window. No. No. Um, no. So the three things at the moment is coffee. Um, <laughs> because now I feel that I'm getting a fairer share of the coffee machine that we bought. Um, lunch, actually. Lunch in the house. Because uh, lunch for me will usually be just something grabbed. Just to fill a hole in the stomach. And the, the French office always say to me, you know, they, they always have lunch. They they have a staff canteen. And for them, it's really important that everyone is away from their desk and they go and eat together. I bet they get and proper lunch. What, what, what are you having for your lunches at the moment? Well, at the moment, there's an awful lot of stuff like quinoa <laughs> and salady stuff, you know, because it's a heat wave. Oh, yeah, um, but the fact of... Uh, but not just having a proper lunch, but actually I'm, I sit down with someone from the family. There'll be at least two or three of us yeah. sat at the breakfast bar or the table having something to eat. And so it becomes a bit of a meeting spot. So that would be one. Um, and the television and my subscription to Sky, which has allowed us to be able to plunder all forms of box sets such as Succession, which is awesome. Oh, I love Succession. I've I've just binge watched Succession, 
and I, I hadn't got into it when it first came out, but you have to kind of get through the first couple of episodes and then it's just yeah. also best opening credits. Best opening credits of any show. Normally opening credits annoy me and I fast forward through them, yeah. but but the succession opening credits, best opening credits since uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There, I've said it. <laughs> um, if you could change the industry in one way right now, what would you do? Um, no, 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 no. There's, there's lots of things. Well, I think there's things which are broader social ones, such as uh, diversity, um, and that diversity, colour, sex, but also age. I think we, we overlook that one a little bit at the moment. People like Cindy Gallup do a great job of reminding people that experience is, is valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest one in terms of the industry itself would be client side. I, I, you know, and consultancies have pushed for this for a long time, but the amount of, uh, organizations which spend tens and hundreds of millions on advertising and seek our advice on those advertising investments have someone on their side with very, very little, to some stages, zero expertise, experience, or knowledge of media. That you, I, I just don't see that in any other industry. It's like asking someone to oversee uh, the railway infrastructure and they've never had any role in transportation or mobility or intergovernment. It's just, for me, that would help so yeah. many conversations, you know, trust, uh, yeah. complex contracts, yeah. um, reviews, what, what constitutes good value um, and stop the race to the bottom in terms of media pricing. So media expertise, client side and media officers or head of media mm. would be a very good move. Interesting. If we were to give you a billboard, Ian, where would you put it and what would it say? Um, I'd I, I put it outside a church. There's a, there's a Paul Weller song called God. Um, and it, it, the billboard would just say, don't look at me, look at you. Hmm. Um, and in this the, the Weller song, it's kind of spoken um, by a... In a, well, it's almost shouted, but it just t- talks about the fact, you know, in times of need, you kind of, it's God speaking down saying, you look, you only come to me when you need me. And in terms of problems that you've usually created yourself, but don't look at me, look at you. Um, and again, that I think that comes, for me, it comes back to the take responsibility for your own actions. And if things are going to change, you've got to be part of it. You can't comment from the sidelines. Um, so roll your sleeves up and, and, and get into it. Yeah, I, I, I think I like outside of church would be quite nice. Don't look yeah. at me. No, I, I, I really like there's, there's a Bob Dylan lyric from his um, evangelist days when he said, God is not an errand boy to satisfy your every desire, which is, again, same sort of, uh, same sort of yeah. thing. Very interesting. So, Ian, to finish us off, one question you cannot prepare for is coming from Proust's list of questions. So uh, if you could give me a, a number between one and 20, I'll give you the question. If you could answer it to finish us off, please. Uh, 
I like the way that you thought some of those may have even been slightly prepared anyway. Um, <laughs> 12. Let's, pull into... <laughs> Let's go with 12. Uh, 12 is what is the quality you most like in a man? And I will say that the following question is what quality would you most like in a woman? So it's not man in generic, it is in a man. So specifically in a man. It's an odd question, isn't it? As opposed to a person. Mm. But you can answer it how you like. Yeah. So, yeah. I think... Um, Bruce won't want. <laughs> yeah, I think just the appreciation of the fact that, you know, half the population of the world isn't male. Um, and that view and that position, you know, for me, it's really important because, as you know, I live in a house of three ladies and... and myself so i'm perhaps biased in that i see an awful lot of bullshit which my daughters have to contend with um you know just coming back from a holiday and mm. just why someone thinks it's absolutely acceptable for a guy to walk down the street without his top on um and shirt off and you know it would be absolutely frowned upon for the woman to even be scanned it's just there's so many double standards yeah. it really pisses me off as a father and a husband um, and a son. So yeah, I think that would be the biggest thing for me. Thank you very much. Ian, thank you so much for your time. It's been great.